Welcome to Packing for Profit. I'm your host, Peter Liu, and I'll be interviewing young and brutal entrepreneurs, teach you how to find your passion, play, enjoy, persevere in your business, and get rewarded for it. Today, I'm privileged and honored to be joined by the CEO and founder of Alien Technologies, a company using proprietary deep learning models that utilize vitals to understand when a driver is incapacitated. He's a Princeton undergraduate, formerly a data scientist at Nexus, and was a research intern at Accenture. Samantha Lee, welcome to the show, and let's talk about how you've turned your passion to play, to profit. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Peter. Pleasure is all mine. All right. So first and foremost, I always love to ask a question. Take us back to college, right? And perhaps even before then. How did you get started, right, into what you know, your major was, which was electrical engineering, and something right along that path, which is data science? And what has kept you in this field for so long? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be honest. It was not like any particular planning. <laughs> I <laughs> kind of figured it out as I went. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I knew I wanted to do electrical engineering mainly, uh, honestly, because I was bad at learning languages. And if I did engineering, I wouldn't have to take a foreign language class. Uh, so I became an engineer mainly because of that and because I like wow. building. Uh, so I kind of just stumbled into it and then realized I liked tinkering with things, um, mm-hmm. but very quickly learned that I didn't want to necessarily do electrical engineering full time. Uh, I liked tinkering, not having a deadline. Uh, and so did an internship, uh, a mutual friend had introduced me to AppNexus, uh, where I started out as actually a data uh, analyst intern uh, for the summer between junior and senior year, fell in love with it. It was a super complicated data like problem, ad tech yeah. in general just like all over the place with the data. So it was very fun learning how this big system works and trying to figure out how to make things faster uh, and more efficient. Um, Love puzzles. So that just really intrigued me. Uh, So didn't know anything about ad tech before that, had not intended to go into ad tech, just kind of, again, stumbled into it, found I really loved it, uh, and then ended up sticking around for five years, becoming a data scientist and helping to uh, enhance their their algorithms and uh, their actual auction processes. But then afterwards, I started uh, thinking about what I wanted to do for actually like what I wanted to leave behind in this world. I decided to leave my job at AppNexus and actually go back for a master's degree at uh, Cornell uh, for Cornell Tech, which was focused uh, very much on entrepreneurship. Uh, And going into that program was thinking about what I wanted to do and like thinking back on these conversations I used to have with my dad. Um, he had pretty bad epilepsy, actually lost the ability to drive as a result. And so I would often drive him uh, just about everywhere, like getting groceries, going to work. Um, we lived in a super rural area. So these would be like hour long drives. And he was also super technical, like he wrote launch code for the space shuttle. Um, and we would talk a lot about technology and like what it could do to get back his independence. Uh, I actually uh, did like a 15 day road trip across the country uh, in the middle of COVID to come do this master's program. And during that, like did a ton of reading, like via podcasts while driving and everything else uh, to actually understand more about the automotive space and where technology was there and realized that people still hadn't addressed this problem. So came into Cornell with the focus of building out this uh, this idea that became Melee, uh, which was all around how to help people like my dad be able to drive uh, once again, or people who can already drive feel more safe while doing so. Wow, that is insane story. And just from the core of this building and trying to solve puzzles, right? To tinkering at data, to starting companies, right? Beyond entrepreneurship, all those different jumps, right? It definitely were, you know, adding more of a 
social type like world component to it where you're just helping providing value back into this world so you know that you kind of answered my first question which was why you started mailing technologies um but now it's the second right which is the how right you started it um you know what were some of the steps that you took right, initially just to remove the initial traction right because gaining momentum is the hardest um you know did you have people working with you co-founders to kind of push you along the way and yeah. um, what were some of the resources that you used right within um you know cornell tech and beyond right to you know help propel this right to something that is you know zero to you know i guess 0 0.25 or 0 0.5 yeah yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I, like we were talking about before the call, like this whole industry runs on karma and everyone knows yeah. it. So the thing is that anybody who's building a company, nobody does it in a black, like us. Mm -hmm. Nobody's like doing this by themselves. They're relying on like hundreds of people and standing on the shoulders of giants. And I did exactly the same. And everybody was very excited to help a new founder because again, this industry runs on karma. Everyone wants to help each other. And it's one of the things I love most about entrepreneurship is all the people who want to like see you succeed. Um, yeah, no, I mean, probably the biggest resources were uh, a little bit of just like being able to vent with people who've been there. It's a it's a lonely ride starting a company, uh, and especially you don't want to lean on your co-founders too, too much because it's like you can kind of like um, enhance or exaggerate like the, the feelings if you're doing that too much. So getting external help and advice is always very helpful. Um, introductions through the Cornell ecosystem has been instrumental, uh, both with investor intros as well as client intros. Um, we joined Plug and Play Detroit actually right after graduation, and that did a bunch for helping us to be introduced to uh, just about everybody in the automotive space. It helped us uh, get one of our advisors who's a former executive at an automotive company, which has gone a long way for A, credibility, but also B, introductions as well, um, especially automotive. The industry is very small. Uh, and so everybody kind of knows everybody as far as decision makers go. So getting your foot in the room uh, is really like the hardest uh, foot in the door is like the hardest first step. Uh, and then actually it's just a bit of a like slow grind, introducing what you do, getting into the uh, proof of concepts, getting into pilots, so eventual production. Um but even in automotive production is like three to five years down the down the way. So that also means that we then had to find a faster go to market because we need to make money. Uh, and part of that has also been leaning on people for introductions in different spaces, more like product market fit exploration in different spaces. Lots of user interviews are always important. You'll never stop talking to users. Um, and yeah, the so yeah, biggest, biggest helping points of. Uh, People to vent to, people to do introductions, uh, and user interviews, I think. It's all about the people. I love it. And let's break that down a little bit first, right? Let's break it down into the people component of this and also the building, right, component and selling component as well. Um, because those are, although separate, very, very intertwined with each other. Um, yeah. So people first, right? You know, we talk about, um, you know, the people within accelerators that you were part of, right? The people that they were able to connect you with. And also, you know, just the general, right? Like people around you at Cornell Tech, et cetera. So when it comes to people, right? What do you think um, is perhaps, right? The biggest quality that you're looking for, um, you know, for potential, you know, people that you can help or sorry, like people that could help you. Um, yeah. Is there a pointed tactic in the in way you look for those types of people? Um, and perhaps how do you, 
right? Properly maintain those relationships, right? Over the long term. Um, and I guess even reach out to them, right? Should there be an immediate ask or should there be like just initial outreach and then slowly by slowly, like a nurturing of that relationship? So what is your relationship with this guy? Yeah, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, especially coming from an engineering background, I learned yeah. a lot about networking in the last couple of years. Yes. Um, I strongly believe the best approach is to treat people like people and less mm-hmm. like opportunities. Um, so yes, you can reach out to people because you like know they're connected. And yes, you can reach out to people because you think they can help you. Um, but yeah. when you're actually meeting them, think less about that opportunity and think more of them yeah. as bad like as people. Cause even if they can help you a lot, if yeah. they're not going to vibe with you, or if you can't trust them, or if you think that like they will maybe uh not necessarily be the like nicest in the future or mm-hmm. like they might use this information against you. Like right. you're not going to feel comfortable taking help from them. Exactly. Uh, so like, I think always approaching it as like, this is a person that I'm getting to know. Yeah. Um, not only is better for your mental health in the long run, but also mm-hmm. is better than like showing them that you care about them as a person and not just an introduction, yeah. which is yeah. how you should approach all relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that said, like, yeah, you can, it depends on the person, uh, whether you can make an ask right away or not. I tend to try and build relationships first and everybody has different mm-hmm. styles. Um, but like that said, a lot of people will just offer to do introductions when they're mm-hmm. excited about what you're building yeah. and they want to help you. And that often happens on the first call. Um, and if it doesn't happen on the first call, it could be they don't know how they can help, um, mm-hmm. in which case I might ask that. But it could also be they don't want to help you, in which case don't push right. it. Um, oh. Yeah. So I'd say, like, if you're going to make an ask explicitly and they haven't mm-hmm. offered, try to get to know them a little bit over time. And that could mm-hmm. be like saying, hey, we've got a couple updates. We'd love to jump on a call and yeah. share it with you. We had great feedback last time. Right. Um, and, like, be genuine in that. Like, if they didn't give good feedback, like don't do that. Um, if like that, you don't remember the feedback, definitely don't do that. Cause they'll remember it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's all about relationship building. Mm-hmm. And so just keep that in mind and keep the individual in mind and not necessarily the outcome. 100%. I love it. People are people at the end of the day. Right. And, uh, yeah. should be seen as resources. I think some of the best ways to judge the character of a person is how they treat people who aren't necessarily like you know, people who, who can help them in their immediate goals, right? I think that's a pretty good benchmark for character um, because you know, you want just someone who's really selfish. So totally makes sense. So yeah. the second part, right, which is the building plus the product market fit part, right? Because sometimes it's kind of that wedge right in between the middle where it's like that markers keep on flip-flopping between, okay, what should I spend more time on? Did identifying yeah. if I can sell this thing or if I identifying or just spending time? So for you in particular, right? Um, where does that kind of needle go? Uh, how do you you know manage that needle? Um, and I guess what are some metrics that you look for on both sides? Gauge you know where you are on each of those sides. Yeah, yeah. I think at every stage, no matter what you're doing, the Mm -hmm. rule is always build enough to be able to sell it. (laughs) Yes. Or build enough to be able to test it. You shouldn't overdevelop and you definitely shouldn't make features in a vacuum. Uh, Everything should be informed based on what people want. And so your focus should always be on 
what is my mission, work towards that mission, but also how can I make money? Because at the end of the day, well, like it kind of sounds like icky to say like, I need to make money, but at the end of the day, you can't achieve your mission if the company can't survive and the company can't survive if it doesn't make money. And you do also have an obligation to your shareholders to have returns. That's why they believed in you and invested in you in the first place. Um, So you have these competing demands of like wanting to make the world better, but you do also need to make money in order to make the world better. Um, and so build enough to test, to see if it's going to be something people will buy to start. And then, but also like, but even before you start building, talk to people and find out where their actual pain points are. Don't solve with a solution, solve a problem. Uh, like start with the problem, start with like something you actually want to make better or make new or something like that. Um, that's just like a general, like thing, even that they taught us at Cornell tech, um, But yeah, no, I mean, we, I think we did like a whole wizarded thing where none of it actually worked. And we just had people sit in a car and like, what we walked through it. And we were just like, yeah, how do you feel about this? Like, does this make you feel um, like good about the future? Does it make you feel bad about the future? We tried not to ask leading questions, but I think you get the point. Um, Like, does it make you feel safer? Stuff like that. Um, yeah. And so it's all about like understanding the user experience first and foremost, because that's what leads people to buy. Makes sense. Um, ultimately, right. When customer buys your products, you are getting hired by the customer and doing everything yep. you're about to make sure, you know, um, you're pleasing your boss as much as possible. So <laughs> I think like you said, right, like asking the right questions, um, also another skill, um, to master when it does come to user needs. Um, you know, out of curiosity, you know, do you guys have any sales at the moment um, that you're working on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you do. Yeah, it's awesome. uh, pretty exciting. As of like two months ago, we actually have our first paying client. So it's pretty I love cool. it. <laughs> Especially in automotive, which tends to move pretty mm-hmm. slow. We're quite proud of that. Um, so we're working yeah. with one of the largest auto conglomerates in the world. Got they it. own five well-known brands. Um, wow. We will be having a press release coming coming out soon. So keep an eye out for that. That is awesome. That is awesome. So I guess now that follow-up question that would be, you know, like obviously for a lot of founders um, out there, especially startup founders, um, this tons of issues getting credibility and um, generating trust, right? To partner with all these big firms. Um, what is your playbook when it comes to, you know, proving that you're actually competent in your work partnership? Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, I guess, what are some ways that, you know, anyone can do it on a very practical scale? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very blunt, so I'm going to be very blunt. I think yeah. it depends on the person, but it is something I'm right. still working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that lends you the most credibility in other people's eyes is your own confidence, for better or worse. <laughs> and so whatever you need to be confident in your abilities and your ability to, like, make this happen whether you have the skills or not like you could always hire the skills that you need as well that like complement your own or you could have a co-founder who complements that but the biggest credibility is like your ability to be confident and your ability to do it so that could mean that you need more education it could mean bringing on those skills it could mean doing an accelerator um all of these things help to give you that confidence and help to build up that credibility that you can point to um, but at the end of the day, even if you have all of these things and you're still not confident in yourself, nobody's going to believe in you. And so this is something I've always worked, needed to work on, um, especially with like the data science background. People tend to be very like 
academic and constantly saying like how things could break and fail. Um, and obviously like investors want to know that you're thinking about those things, but at the same time, you also need to be confident that you can build it, which we are, but it doesn't always come across. Um, and so that's something that I'm always trying to like play around with and be able to show people as well. Um, one thing that really helped me with my own confidence and credibility was when I realized I didn't know enough about medical side of things. Um, and I am one of those people who needs to at least have a high level understanding of everything and can't just like hire others in order to feel confident in it. So I actually became an EMT and I started doing EMT shifts up in the Bronx. And that gave me the confidence to know that I knew enough wow. to be able to build this product. Um, so I think it's, it's all about what you need be able to sell it um, because you can always get there. You just need to know how to do it, be able to like feel confident in yourself. I love that. I think first of all, that EMT thing is insane. That's that shows a high, very a very high level of dedication. You know, exactly what you're talking about, and be in the shoes of people who are, you know, you know, the people who will be, you know, who traditionally would solve the problem that you are trying to solve, right? So ultimately, like being in their shoes, right? The former uh, solution to the problem, which is pretty interesting to think about. Um, okay. And honestly, like when I say this, like confidence, I think also, uh, I think deeply comes from doing things that a lot of people are afraid to do or things that, you know, um, can't do, right? Like being the 1%. So deriving confidence from that also, I think helps founders as a whole. Um, just speak, right? Because we've done things that part of skill. Um, Okay, interesting. And I guess, you know, a follow-up to that would be, right, like, you know, obviously that was a challenge that you have faced, right? Um, learning about the industry. What are perhaps some other challenges that you faced um, in terms of just, you know, running the business as a whole? Um, and what was perhaps the biggest challenge for you? And how were you able to um, overcome that, right? Love to get a story here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um and biggest challenge. There's been so many. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I honestly believe the biggest challenge is the mm -hmm. slow grind. Um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And yes. I love working. I probably work seven days a week just because I love what I'm doing and it gives Absolutely. me energy. Mm -hmm. That said, that you often, even if you love it, even if you like feel super ambitious about it and you've got like all the wind behind your back, sometimes it can feel like you're running in place. And that is really hard especially during the holidays when everyone goes on vacation for a month and you're just building and everything's going into the void. Um, it's It can be tough. And again, this is where like being able to lean on people is incredibly important. Um, and just having that mental resource, I think people don't realize like how mentally exhausting it can be to constantly try and create something out of nothing. And you have like people who believe in you, people who don't believe in you and like varying between those. And like the roller coaster is real and just staying on the roller coaster and trying not to like get stuck in those pits um, is probably one of the biggest challenges in the long run for like a founder perspective. For, for the company perspective, I think one of the biggest challenges um, initially was getting actually even to talk to clients like our, our end clients are the actual automotive players. 
Um, so we were doing a lot of user interviews for like end users and people who could really benefit from this product. But at the end of the day, we're selling to automotive, who which cares about those end users. But we also needed to know the incentives of automotive. Getting our foot in the door was incredibly challenging. Um, and like I said, the only way we were able to do that was going through a very dedicated accelerator program that was able to do those introductions. Um, and so finding whatever route you can get in order to get that access uh, is super helpful, super important. Um, a lot of people do this with like cold outreach on LinkedIn. That can be really hard. And Accelerator helped make that much easier for us. Wow. Yeah. I Now I finally see like, you know, the true benefit of like the Detroit's going for it. Uh, it fits perfectly into what you guys are doing. Um, wow. So, I mean, I want to tell you a little bit more about that. Um, founder's perspective of like grit and longevity, right? Because, you know, obviously, you know, like a lot of people say, it's one, the, the, the factor that really makes founders successful is how long they can stick in it, right? And how they can forego giving up. And that truly makes, you know, business successful, right? It's the grit determination. So are there practical, like, exercises that you have in your head in terms of, you know, self-talk to keep you in the game for longer? Um, is there any, you know, like, I guess, physical activities? Do you work out, do you exercise to keep you, you know, off of thinking about it? Um, and for you, what is, again, that needle kind of, you know, lie, right? Between working on the business and, you know, also just relaxing and re, you know, energizing for that next sprint. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. I think, yeah, you, you have to find what works for you and what people like stereotypically think of as relaxing might not work for you. You have to answer this question for yourself. Like I know if I sit down and watch TV at the end of the day, I get stuck in this like mindset of lethargy and I find it hard to break out of it. And then it's hard to get back to work. And the whole time I'm just feeling like I can't do the work. So I find that actually just sitting down at the end of the day and watching TV is actually really harmful for me, even though a lot of people find it relaxing. It just, it hurts my mental health in the long run. Um, reading helps me a lot. I do a lot of reading. I live in New York. And so I read on the subway going to and from the office. And I find that that helps. Uh, and it's nice because it has like a distinct endpoint as well. Like while commuting, uh, I hang out with my dog a lot. Um, that helps. Uh, but yeah, having control over something in your life, because you are in an industry where you have no control over anything half the time. Uh, control is really important about like showing that you like can organize something. So I'm very organized in my home space. I do work out, I run like every day. Um, and so that does help a lot for just being like, this is a thing that I can do that I know I can always like do for now, barring yeah. any like, serious injury or something. Um, so I can stick with that and the rest will fall as it will. And I will do my very best. Um, but this is a thing that I can absolutely control. And so it's, it's good I to know. have that balance and to have things that give you yes. energy. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Um, I'm also really curious now because I'm also a huge runner. Uh, doing, I did like a half marathon like two weeks ago and I want to yeah. run the New York City full marathon for 2023. So I mean, just out of curiosity, I don't know how big of a runner you are because if you're saying every day, it's got to be something. Um, you know, how much do you run? How do you get this money? And, uh, you know, what? how do you think your mind functions when you're in that running zone? And why do you enjoy that feeling, baby? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, to be honest, I hated running most of my life. Yeah. Um, about four mm -hmm. years ago, I had jaw surgery and I wasn't allowed wow. to exercise for like four okay. months. Yeah, structural things. So I like had to do it and it was not yeah. fun. Mm -hmm. Um, would not recommend that if anyone can enjoy <laughs> it. 
Um, but I, as part of that, I started to, I mean, really appreciate like the ability to exercise and move because I felt like I was just stuck to the couch all the time. Um, and so running also reminds me of that, that like, I have this freedom and like, I often would take that for granted before. Um, and so it reminds me to like maintain that freedom and like maintain that feeling and joy for like being able to move as well. And like that also, of course, brings like a lot of energy and happiness in an otherwise very stressful profession. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, maybe yeah. I could run a marathon mostly just like <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah. I, I like to listen to audiobooks while I run people think yes. I want to listen to a content moderation expose while running instead uh, of, but I find it interesting. So yeah, no, 100%. For me, it's more so like just, it's just, it's just, I just love the pain. I think it's the best way to put it. I just love being in the moment. Yep. Honestly, if you want to just set a date for a half marathon, I have no doubt to. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no um, but yeah, I mean, now I think definitely want to talk a little bit about the future, right? And where you see yourself. Um, just kind of wrap up. Uh, you know, where do you see the company being maybe in the next five years? Where do you see you being in the next five years as well? Um, yeah. Ultimately, right? Like the big question of just where you really want, what do you really want to be behind in um, this world and what are you perhaps afraid of, right, coming up? So those are four pretty big questions, but we can kind of group them however you like. Yeah. yeah, I guess I'll apply to the company questions first and then to myself. So where I hope to see everything in five years is that we're already working with a number of auto partners. Uh, like I said, we have one really big one now, but we have a number in the works. Uh, we'd like to be working with just about everybody in five years, if not like already in their vehicles, then at least like preparing to be in vehicles. Uh, so this includes like the OEMs, tier one suppliers. That's ambitious, I know, but like, hey, it's ideal world, right? Um, we also would be in uh, like the trucking space as well. So that's the our faster go-to-market vertical that we found is actually there's a lot of interest for safety in the fleet space. Uh, then we could sit on top of video telematics uh, devices because then you help reduce crashes in that space, which often leads to like very high costs and damages, uh, even beyond like helping to protect the driver, which of course is our top priority. Um, so yeah, ideal state in five years, we're starting to be seen in vehicles. You're seeing more and more autonomy features and that makes our uh, our offering even more crucial. Uh, so we're helping to keep cars safer, but also enable trust in autonomous vehicles as well, especially as you see these more and more advanced features. Um, I really strongly believe that the only way to allow true independence and autonomy for people like my dad is not only having a feature like mine, which helps people feel safer while currently driving, but far future with autonomous vehicles when people maybe don't have like the capability to navigate properly. Um, if you think about like older adults or anybody like who, um, who's uh, has any kind of like mental uh, different ability, then like sometimes this makes it very difficult and autonomous vehicles as well as our like health monitoring system helps ensure everybody gets from point A to point B safely and independently. It just allows people to feel like they have more uh, autonomy in their lives. So I'm looking forward to that future. I hope it'll be in five years, but I think autonomous vehicles are taking a little longer than we think. Biggest fear is that people would see us as like a surveillance system. Uh, we do a lot to preserve privacy. Uh, we never save or offload the full image of a driver or writer. Uh, we only use like the facial points and body pose points. So these are just like points on a black screen. Um, so you never see someone's actual face. Uh, and so 
my biggest fear is that that doesn't come across or it's interpreted as like, oh, the system's always watching me, uh, which is the opposite of giving people a feeling of autonomy. So I want to make sure we stick with our mission. And I, I fear like if we don't communicate it well, that that could be lost. Um, as far as personal, I mean, I'd love to still be running this company. I care a lot about it. So I hope to be CEO and really still just building it, hoping to uh, help start expanding to different verticals at that point, exploring different spaces and different ways to help people live freely. Um, yeah, it's, this is what I've decided I want to do with my life moving forward. So in some way or another, I'm going to be doing that. Uh, biggest fear um, for me personally, that's a great question. Um Maybe like chat GPT makes me totally useless as a person. I don't know. I've been playing with that recently and it is bonkers how good it is. Um, I'm hopeful. I mean, I play around with GitHub Copilot a lot and it's incredible, um, but not perfect. So I still have some use in this world. So hopefully I'm not totally uh, not needed. In the future. <laughs> Those we'll see. Chat yeah. GPT is helping me write emails. It's great. <laughs> wow. No, and, I've, and Dolly as well, OpenAI. Mm -hmm. that is, is absolutely this. plus the image recognition in the generation yeah other than that Thank you so much for your time today, Sam. This was really, 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 really helpful. I'm sure a ton of our Cornell, um, you know, student base will really take this to heart. Your advice is definitely really helpful and extremely practical. And thank you so much. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for having me. Glad it was helpful. Yeah.